We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of the wildest weeks of the NFL season, and it was the first week of the fantasy playoffs, and what that means for the next couple weeks of the fantasy playoffs. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas, presented by WinBet. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Find all his great work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, I mean, we I, we, we were joking before we got on the show that both of us are kind of pretending like this didn't happen at all, but Jalen Hurts is, is hurt now. We have a team. What are you saying? Yeah. Uh, Jalen Hurts's? That doesn't sound right. I pretty much had acted like this was a not realistic or not not a thing that's actually happening uh, in, in somewhere in my head. And, and you, you had kind of joked that your AI had switched it off too. So we are not aware of this actually happening. But I do want to go through this team and how it's going to go on to win as Jalen Hurts plays the next two weeks the FFPC million dollars because it had a great week this week. We've talked about it over the last few weeks. We're really excited about it. It still had to get in. It scored over 400 points in its two league playoff matchups to, you know, average over 200 per week to get in to the shootout. And then it put up 180 in the first week of the shootout. And it did that despite the kicker and defense combining for nine points, Harrison Butker, we always talk about when you have these huge weeks, sometimes you see the kicker in defense, you know, scoring. Harrison Bucker misses an extra point and a 51-yard field goal, I'm pretty sure it was. To win. He, I mean, he wasn't good from a reality or a fantasy perspective in this game. At the same time, he got a look. He has a leg. You kind of hope he makes that for fantasy purposes. That's a five-point play, obviously. And then the extra point, I mean. And those long field goals are touchdowns. Right. He leaves six points on the field. And then we also have the Vikings defense, which, of course, is five points has two fumble recoveries for touchdowns that should not have been blown dead. The first, I think you can argue on the forward progress, and I can understand. I still think it was a quick whistle. They have not really been whistling that quick this year. The second, in the fourth quarter of a one-score game where Minnesota had already come all the way back, and, and they end up obviously completing the comeback anyway, but they'd already come all the way back, and you as an officiating crew have already blown a play dead earlier that you maybe wish you didn't have. They blow a play dead where the runner is just running and gets the ball knocked out. There's no forward contact at all. It just gets it knocked out as he kind of comes into to traffic. Clear, clear, clear fumble, clear recovery, and it would have been a clear touchdown. Anyway, that took away six points from our defense. I mean, I'm not going to say we lost two defensive touchdowns because who knows how the game plays out if these things go differently earlier in the game. But Pretty good case that we lost double-digit kicker and defense points on this team that still scored 180, had a shot at 190, 200. I explain all that because it moved all the way up. It was behind a little bit in regular season scoring. You carry your average of weeks 1 to 12, I think it is. We don't get to include the 13 and 14 weeks, which we had big weeks, kind of unfortunate. But your average of weeks 1 to 12, the regular season, into the shootout, and then you add in weeks 15, 16, and 17. So it's basically like four weeks, and the one week is the average. And and everyone's average is going to be somewhat closer. More variance in the week 15, 16, 17 weeks than the average. But we were chasing some points. We, we didn't have the highest average from weeks 1 to 12. Despite chasing some points, 
despite not necessarily hitting what I would argue was our ceiling on this roster and hitting 180, which is still good, we moved up into the top 100. We finished the week at 92nd, about 55, 57 points out of first, which is still a, a, a big hill to climb, but only about like 30 points out of the top 10. I mean, so the very top of the top 10 starts to scale up a little bit. The, the, the top teams are up by... I mean, first, it has a 12-point lead over third right now. I mean, there's already a little bit of a gap there. We're not that far out. And you can talk about if we got those kicker and defense points. You know, we are in 92nd, but we pro- we would have been, let's say we got another 10 points or something, we would have been up in, you know, 40th or so. Uh, obviously, some of these other teams might have had Butker and Miami, their Minnesota's defense as well. I'm, I'm really getting into semantics like I love to do. The point is, had a good first week in week 15. And it wasn't even as big of a week as we had in weeks 13 and 14. This team is scoring right now. It's going really well. Some of the teams ahead of us, I mean, a lot of strong teams, but some of the teams ahead of us, I think, would be dogs to score as much as we're expecting to over the next couple of weeks with this roster, assuming Jalen Hurts healthy. Again, for the people who haven't listened through the whole saga of this, we have Christian McCaffrey on this team. It's a Hurts-AJ Brown stack. We have Tyreek Hill. We also have Garrett Wilson. We played Jerry Judy again this week. Strong week for him. We played Raheem Mostert. Over Zonovan Knight proved to be a very smart decision. We also proved, uh, played Taysom Hill over Gerald Everett. That ended up being kind of a wash, but Taysom Hill throwing the long touchdown was kind of fun after we made that decision. A couple of tricky start-sit decisions on this team. They did pan out. We played the right guys. Everything's sort of going well, and you're thinking, man, this team's already top 100. It's got a lot of firepower. It's got exposure to the right offenses, the Niners, the Eagles stack, the Dolphins, and then – Jalen Hurts might not play. And the only quarterback we have on the roster other than Jalen Hurts is Mac Jones. But he was awesome last week, right? Yeah, everything went real swimmingly for the Patriots this week. Nothing really to discuss with them. Just a normal week. A normal week for them. A normal week. Bill Belichick didn't look like his. I mean, you really felt that one of those cartoon graphics was going to occur in real life in that game. And... I mean, I don't know if the spontaneous combustion stories are accurate. I don't know if that's really a thing. You thought you were going to see that as he made his walk over to shake hands at the end. No, it, it was it was such an amazing week. I kind of told you that I thought the first call in that Vikings game was correct. But then on Monday Night Football, the Rams are allowed to hold up Aaron Jones. And now, I mean, granted, he does continue to drive with his legs, but... And arguably one of the reasons the first play in the Vikings game as well shouldn't have been called dead. I mean, these guys have had their forward progress stop for several minutes, and yet the ball is pulled out. That play was ruled as a fumble, which got me back on the, oh, okay, maybe these are both defensive touchdowns. Anyway, I mean, that's not necessarily the most interesting part. The part that is fun is that we scored a lot of points. The downside to this, Ben, is that you need to score a lot and have other teams stopped. The unfortunate element for people playing similar lineups to what we had this week, which I would argue is sort of a fairly straightforward star players do star things. We had some game environments that launched a bunch of other players. And I think from a, a global perspective, that was awesome. One of the things that we have been really looking for this year is more scoring. But you get this dynamic Vikings comeback. You get the Jaguars now making their playoff push and Trevor Lawrence taking the jump from, you know, maybe borderline bust a month ago to potential superstar. So those guys score. You look at the different leaderboards and the different teams advancing and things like underdogs, best ball mania, the FFPC best ball tournament, and you see some names that you weren't necessarily expecting, but you obviously see a lot of Zay Jones. You can even see KJ Osborne checking in there. The folks who were very adamant about some of those stacks. If you were on that Vikings one this week, it did allow you to get through the first week of the playoffs in many situations. Not all, obviously. You still have to have a good team overall. But if you advance to be in that position, you probably had a team where you're going to advance with those Vikings. It would have been great for us if the other games had been lower scoring. But to your point, I mean, this, it just was so exciting to see this team hit for a third week in a row. And with the number of teams that are in the FFPC main event shootout this year, you're going to need to score a lot of points. So maybe 
you know, a three week 200 point average. But the thing I liked about getting to 180 in the first week, number one, you just always like scoring points and you're not dead. But this is a team that could go to 220. This is a team that could hit 205, could put up 420, 430 points over weeks 16 and 17. And those weeks are going to matter, right? I mean, the scoreboard could be shaken up. We could see the teams at the top run away. But again, if they got some points from a Zay Jones, and I do believe the team in first has Zay Jones, for example. I mean, Jones scored as many touchdowns in this game as he had in his previous 43 NFL games. Now, that doesn't mean that he shouldn't get credit for that. He's rising. He's very good. I was mentioning to you before the show that if you pull up the NFL Combine Explorer, you see that he's like a, a 75th percentile freak score guy above a 90 percentile explosion score and agility score guy. I mean, that's somebody who, at least when he came into the NFL, could could really move. You know, he's now kind of emerging as a sixth-year breakout, which is something we don't say very often. But it was just so exciting to be in the mix here with a team that, I mean, even if you take Christian McCaffrey off of this team, it's a good team. Then you put him in, and it, it just seemed like the mix. And, you know, we've gone through it, and there are lots of teams that make to the playoffs. I mean, I had teams in here in best ball where the two QBs are Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. You know that team is dead, but this team felt like it had a real chance. Yeah, you, you talk about the Zay Jones point. I'm looking at it now. The top five teams all have Ramondre Stevens. Uh, three of them have Jarek McKinnon. So, I mean, like guys who had big weeks in week 15, of those teams scored 200 points this week. There's about 800, uh, 900 832 teams total in the, the shootout here. You're going to have some teams that have the big week 15, regardless of what their prior average are, they're going to be up there near the top. The point you're making is, you know, very relevant to the any scenario where our team would end up actually finishing top five or having a shot to win or contending. These teams that are way out there in first would have to come back to the pack a little bit. But that's what's fun about our team we got points from everywhere, and we didn't have Ramondre Stevenson or Jarek McKinnon or Zay Jones. We have guys – I mean, we have a different combination than a lot of the – I mean, less reliant on individual – I mean, there's a lot of Jalen Hurts ahead of us in this tournament. And if Mac Jones comes out and puts up 25 points, it's just I don't think that can happen. But if that happens, there's actually an argument that, like, we'll be in a, in a great spot if, if Jalen Hurts maybe could cut back for Week 17 because – Hertz isn't a huge differentiator himself in this, but we also have AJ Brown and there's also Josh Allen teams and Patrick Mahomes teams. Yeah, that's the other problem that we face. Yeah. A lot of Mahomes teams ahead of us, a lot of Allen teams ahead of us. In addition to not having some of these weird game environment, I, I say game environment, but the teams had to do it. I mean, there was no guarantee that the Vikings would make any kind of push, much less the greatest comeback in NFL history. There was no guarantee that once they got down, the Jaguars would strike back against the supposedly elite Dallas defense. It's not to take anything away from them. Those teams and individual players were amazing. But it would have been great for them not to score. It also would have been great, Ben. We have seen a slowdown from Josh Allen. And if you had a, an Allen Diggs stack or an Allen Davis stack, and obviously that's, again, a, a way that a lot of people play it, I'm not discouraging people from doing that. I do want people to consider how having the individual guys in specific scenarios would still work. And if it helps you build a better team, at least think that through. But in a game where Diggs gets taken out, for Josh Allen to still come through, you know, that part is too bad if you don't have Allen. And then the previous couple of weeks we watched as Mahomes and specifically Travis Kelsey, finally teams were slowing him down a little bit. We get to the fantasy playoffs. It's very exciting for all of the elite tight end drafters. And obviously we push elite tight end. We didn't have nearly as much Kelsey, obviously, as we would have preferred with how the season played out. Those drafters very excited that he did come back in this one. You didn't know if he was going to be necessary against the Texans. But again, a weird game. The Chiefs, as they have in a lot of games this season, commit a couple of really bad turnovers in addition to what Bucker did. And that creates an environment where, I mean, the Chiefs weren't trailing to the Texans, but it created a game environment where they could go for 500 yards in a game where, obviously, the Texans still struggle to move the ball. You don't have those two turnovers, and maybe you don't get all of those points from the Chiefs. So there were a lot of interesting things that happened this week that allowed so many teams to score. It would have been better for us if that hadn't happened. And yet, again, holistically, it's so exciting that so many different types of teams are in play. 
if you're if you're there on Allen, if you're there on Mahomes, if you're there on Joe Burrow, and you know certainly if you're there on something like a, a Justin Fields or Tua, I mean nobody's rooting for injuries, or very few people are rooting for injuries, but it does give you almost a tiny little sense of relief that Hertz may not be the guy who beats you because Ben at this point, I mean, one of the things that was interesting about this game is that a lot of things actually did go wrong for the Eagles. They didn't play particularly well in the first half. Hertz was struggling to generate yardage running the, you look at the final box and it doesn't suggest this at all, but the bears were limiting AJ Brown early and forcing the ball to Devonte Smith they didn't have Dallas Goddard back yet. That's something that also is another little potential issue for the A.J. Brown volume or the Smith volume, depending on which path you're going there. But then, the obviously, A.J. Brown comes back. He has the massive number of air yards as the game progresses. But what you saw from Hertz this week is that he doesn't have to have 40 points in the first three quarters. He doesn't have to hit on the first two or three drives on 60-yard passes. He doesn't have to run for 100 yards to get to this point total. He has so many different ways, including being, you know, the one putback if your Miles Sanders manager this week was disastrous for you. I mean, Jalen Hurts was going to be the overall MVP of this season, and it is too bad that he probably won't play. Yeah, it's a pretty big bummer for a lot of reasons. I do think, I mean, Minshew, as we talk about sort of what to expect, Minshew is a capable backup from what we've seen. He's had a tendency, I haven't done the numbers, but by recollection, to, to throw short a, a decent amount. I think it could mean more running back targets. I think it could mean more Devonta Smith stuff because he's gotten a lot of stuff around the line of scrimmage. A.J. Brown's been a lot more sort of vertical. It could lean like, – I could see a Devonta Smith like nine-catch game. Like they've had a couple of times where they kind of game plan to have a short passing game. That was earlier in the season, but they could do something similar with, with Gardner Minshew potentially. You know that Hurts is – Taking a lot of the offense, I mean, him being out is going to hurt the offensive efficiency, and they're not going to put up as much. The whole pie gets smaller. But also, when the pie is really large with the Eagles, he's taking a lot of that. He's rushing for 50-plus yards per game. I think it's like 53 yards per game and almost a TD per game on the ground. So, I mean, maybe they're a whole TD worse with Gardner Minshew, but that's quarterback rushing points that it, it basically washes, right? Uh, and in terms of total fantasy potential for the skill positions, I actually, I mean, a, a greater percentage of plays are going to be pass attempts, right? They're going to tend to be a little bit more pass heavy, probably without the quarterback mobility and, and design quarterback run. And more of the dropbacks are not going to be scrambles, right? Because hurt scrambles a decent amount. They're going to turn into pass attempts. I don't, I, I'm not arguing that Minchie's a better passer than Hurts. So that's a, point that some people have tried to make in the past. I think it was just stupid. It was stupid then, and it would be very dumb now. But Hertz, excuse me, Minshew, different than Hertz in the way that, like, Mike White is – is the Jets are the best example because my, when Mike White took over, they went from a quarterback who was basically as bad as it gets for the skill position players to one that was actually, like, pretty good or better than even his own talent for the skill guys. Minshew probably somewhat in that mold – now, we're not going from Zach Wilson to Minshew, we're going from Hurts. So I, I, basically what I'm saying is I don't think it's as much of a downgrade as it might feel like immediately for all of the pass catchers, for A.J. Brown, for Devonta Smith. And there might even be an increase, when I say the pass attempts, also in completions. There might be enough of an increase to offset Dallas Goddard coming back a little bit. I think it might actually wind up being a passing game that suddenly can support three, where in the past maybe it's only been able to support two in a lot of the games. It'll be interesting, but I mean, th there's paths to them throwing 40 plus times right away in this Dallas game. They haven't done that a lot this year with Hertz under center. So I'm not, you know, Hertz injury. I'm not, when I look at like our team, for example, I'm not concerned really about AJ Brown. You just, it's an immediate problem for quarterback scoring, which is a big deal. And it's going to determine these titles. If you want to score 200 points, Big reason we scored 180 last week, Sean, is Jalen Hurts scored 40 points. I mean, you talked about he wasn't getting there, and, and our score wasn't great until he decided to, to run for three touchdowns. Suddenly it was like, okay, you know, we're having a pretty good game. A.J. Brown hits on some long plays late. God, if he would have scored on that one long touchdown too. I mean, that was an incredible play to stay in bounds and, and extend the play. Gets all the way down inside the five. Hurts ends up rushing it in, but 
almost a long touchdown for AJ Brown's like a 60 yard catch. Then I, this is going to be blasphemy, but I did want you to weigh in on, did this, did at any point during that play, were you thinking that looks like 37 year old Antonio Gates? You're out of your mind. You thought he was slow on the play. He's getting the end zone down. And then he has to stay in bounds. Like in the middle of the play, after he breaks the first tackle after the catch, it take like he can't just start running and accelerating. It takes some of your balance and of your muscle ability to stay in balance. He tiptoes the sideline incredibly well and then starts to accelerate as well. You are off your rocker with that take. Out of your mind. So Gardner Minshew, 2019 to 2020, 253 passing air yards a game has two over 400 has multiple additional ones over 380 he averages 20 points per game in that span he has 43 percent qb1 finishes and one of the biggest mistakes that we've made is that we didn't move off of mac jones to gardner Minshew as we go into the tournament because obviously the sort of conditional scenario there is that if hurts is out then you can keep that going with Minshew. We have more information now because you have to make these bets a couple weeks ago, right? But especially now that we have seen this progression with Mac Jones, Gardner Mishu's fantasy profile actually very intriguing. Yeah, and so one of the things, Sean, we talked about before the show, and we both came to the conclusion because you mentioned it to me before the show, and I had already mentioned it to someone else, I think my my Stealing Lions co-owner, Dalton Cates, if I'm not mistaken, when I was telling him about our situation, mine and your team, was that we probably should have just picked up Gardner Minshew. We picked up Mac Jones the final week because we just were like, we should get a backup quarterback. But we weren't we weren't rostering a backup quarterback, and we were looking through the options that were available. They weren't great. I would actually not be that upset about starting Gardner Minshew here, especially considering we have A.J. Brown. You can talk about the correlation, the potential for multiple touchdowns flowing that way. Wouldn't feel like we're out of it. For those who are without Jalen Hurts this week or have other issues at quarterback, I do think Gardner Minshew is a very viable play in your fantasy semifinals. I mean, I think you can go get him. If you're in a super flex league, you can go get him and play him. I, I got some questions about uh, super flex, including one that had uh, Kyler get hurt just a week ago and then get, has Jalen Hurts get hurt this week and now suddenly doesn't have any QBs and thought they had two elite QBs just a couple of weeks ago. And the available QBs, it's like, who do we, who do I pick up? And it's all the backups, it's Brett Rippon and all these guys. But Gardner Minshew, to me, head and shoulders above that crowd if you're in, the, in, in that type of situation, right? In our Dynasty League, we pre- played Brett Rippon last week because of the Kyler Murray injury. Lit the world on fire. Yeah, was, it, was it 40? Was it 50 points? How many did he score? Well, the best part is we decided between him or Colt McCoy because we added both of them. And we picked correctly, Sean. <laughs> Speaking of picking co- correctly, I do want to mention what a great job that Ben did getting us onto a couple of great plays this week. Obviously, the decision between Raheem Mostert and Zonovan Knight was going to be a tricky one. We had played Knight in some difficult circumstances the previous couple of weeks. He had come through really well. We've talked about his advanced stats on the show. We've talked about how the coaching staff has raved about him Unfortunately, you have that massive downgrade to Zach Wilson, which destroys the entire offense. We talked on our Friday show about some of the matchup elements in that game where the Detroit Lions rush defense especially has been on fire. And then you go into the Bills game, and it was kind of fun because our buddy Mike Leone was at that game. You mentioned that he had texted you some pictures of how clear everything actually was leading up to game time. And so you had messaged me really about five minutes before kickoff and we chat a little bit, went through the different scenarios and with Jeff Wilson out there, we did decide to make the switch. One of the things I always kind of leaned against is making those last minute calls where maybe you're trying to bet on a specific scenario, because I think that when you go through the week and you set your lineups, you're looking at the big picture and then at the last minute, you can get caught up on some specific fact that does create a scenario that's maybe a winning scenario, but there are more ifs involved. There are more different things that have to hit in a row or there are more elements of it. You make the switch, you go away from the guy who has the broader play 
and you lose and then you regret it. But just because that's the case in many situations doesn't mean that you don't want to continue to work through this. We went to Mostert. You were the one who instigated that conversation. And I mean, that was huge for us. He had a fantastic game. He was on the zero RB candidates list to start the season. We saw the reasons why in this game he looked very explosive. The Dolphins, a much more balanced offense in this one, coming off of a couple of games where Tua struggles. They had a balanced attack where Jalen Waddell, I pointed out that I thought that he was really struggling with injury uh, when we discussed different options, again, in terms of breaking down that Bills-Dolphins game for the show. He looked fantastic. Obviously, Tyreek Hill does Tyreek Hill things. And then the balance of that is that Mostert was slicing through and creating these big plays. I was excited for that. The other one we made, which actually probably wasn't the right choice, because you see Taysom Hill throw this long touchdown and still is basically a watch with Gerald Everett. But we did want to go with this potential scenario where coming off of their bye, and these, again, things that you pointed out, they were going to have some schemed plays in for Hill. They hit on one early. That was so exciting. He also did have a number of rushing attempts that got stoned in this game. So there were more possibilities there. We're probably going to need Gerald Everett to hit going forward. Now, actually, Everett has had a, a mediocre game. It's actually more interesting to go back to him because probably not a lot of Everett guys at the top of the leaderboard. But and the Hill stuff I, was discouraging. We we didn't we talked a little bit about potentially coming out of bye. They might use him. Mark Ingram's out. They might use him as like their goal line back. There's various ways they could use him. Really didn't use him very much at all in this game, other than. He throws a couple passes and he hits on a long passing TD, which winds up being basically his whole day. He scores 11 fantasy points for us, the bulk of which came on that pass. I mean, he had another pass completion as well, but didn't offer much else. And we can't. They were trying to set it up too, to where those passing plays would open him up as a runner. Opposing defense did not buy it. Yeah. And so that's care that they already already been burned. They're like, do it to us again. Throw another 60 yard touchdown. You mentioned the most or call i mean if you're going to give me credit on that i'm going to obviously give you credit on being on him since the start of the season and the only reason he's on our roster because you were pounding the table to get him in a lot of leagues our listeners know that and i'm sure a lot of them have most as well he looked fantastic i mean that's what and you've been talking about how he's been you know i remember back in the summer you're talking about how at practices they were timing him and he was timing very very well he's been at times, not looking at like his old self. I mean, that was peak Raheem Mostert explosive wise. I mean, he had a play similar to what we just talked about with AJ Brown, just extending the play on the sideline and sending the play. Although, if you want to make that comparison, Mostert did continue to look faster and faster throughout that play. I mean, he looked incredible in this game. The the twenty yard reception, several of the little moments where you saw the burst, you saw explosiveness. You're like, this is where so many fancy points can come from. Little bit of a bummer that Savon Ackman winds up scoring the touchdown. Mostert played a season-high snaps here, ran a season-high routes. Everything was great. Ahmed just basically spelled him and, and got the TD. It happens. Ahmed looked good, too. We know he's pretty decent. He ends up rushing pretty efficiently as well in this spot. But Mostert looked fantastic. And then part of the reason we went there, Sean, one of the things we haven't talked a ton about on the show this year is high-value touches. It's my favorite kind of way to look at running back upside, and it's been in part because of the way the NFL has shifted. There hasn't been a lot of running back receiving this year. It's been really, really down. And that's something we'll get into in the offseason, I'm sure. But it's impacted high-value touches league-wide. I mean, it's just not been as big of a part. And because of that, and because of the shift to running, high-value touches being the clear indicator of running back ceiling has always sort of been the case, and it still is. But that gap has has narrowed because it's been easier for run-first runners who have been efficient like a Miles Sanders who can have 150 rushing yards and multiple rushing TDs to have a ceiling game running in part because they're, you know, these teams are sometimes running way more and in part because the high value touch totals aren't big enough to have these 30 point games fueled by high value touches. We did see, I mean, for Jerick McKinnon, for example, how that can work. He has eight high value touches these last two weeks. His first two games of the year at that total is, you know, two season highs, it's 30 point games in both games. I mean, he made his high value touches count. He scores on the, receptions and he also had a long touchdown run to end the game this week but um we've seen the high value touches and, and the ceiling they can provide the reason i'm going into this jets high value touches in mike white's three starts seven 14 and five as a team five still it's not great but it's still okay that's about nine per game they all also had the 14 game in there that would put them right about like second in the nfl 
for uh for the season for a team high value touch total the chargers are kind of out in front as a top team then you got the box you got the Bengals, you got the lions that's where they they have been with mike white last week they had two high value touches that was the lowest number in the nfl for week 15. zach wilson's last start against the patriots they had one so i mean you're talking about going from a quarterback that puts you in the top three in high value touch expectation to literally the bottom of the NFL. And, and that's the gap we're talking about here. So that's a part of the reason we got off Zonathan Knight there is it's it's just trickier. It's it's a lot tougher without the receptions, without the ball moving and getting into green zone opportunities as well. They're not scoring as many points when Zach Wilson's under center. It's both sides of it. There's no receiving, there's no points for the team. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You mentioned the value of the touches, and that was the one of the interesting things. and One of the concerns that we've had with Jerry Judy and the quality of this Denver Broncos offense, obviously a very different kind of dynamic with receivers versus running backs. And yet you still need to have the quarterback who can get the job done, who can move your team into the red zone, who can take advantage of the routes the players are running. And for Judy to actually have a big game in this one, he needed to run really hot he's been one of the top scoring wide receivers over the last two weeks and that's because of crazy efficiency levels he's caught 88 percent of his targets he's gained 77 yards after the catch he's found the end zone three times obviously that came in the previous game where he goes over 30 he's doing that with russell wilson and brett rippon this isn't to say that i think he's going to continue to do that obviously you have to understand the risk the rest of this season but but i was kind of blown away by this game because you watch judy and you read about judy for years and years and the scouting report on him is always this just incredible route running he's not a huge guy not small he's not a blistering athlete not a bad athlete but he's kind of middle of the road on some of these other things you're looking for not necessarily an alpha wide receiver and i think definitely one of the reasons why Cortland sutton was drafted ahead of him this year because sutton does offer some more of those characteristics where it's easier to see how he goes out and blows away the NFL, especially obviously if Russell Wilson had hit. We're talking about a very different, complete environment if that had been the scenario this season. But you watch Judy in this one, and I don't know that I've ever seen a receiver in such a, a bland, unimportant, boring game look as good as he did, driving off the line and then separating by yards. I mean, by literal yards on his first cut. We talk about Christian McCaffrey and how He's unstoppable because he runs these routes out of the backfield. Maybe he gets a linebacker. Maybe he gets a safety. Maybe he even gets you know multiple guys. And as soon as he cuts, he's wide open. And so if the quarterback had needed him on that route, on that play, or even now has him as the safety valve, he's got a guy because no one is around Christian McCaffrey. We were getting that from Jerry Judy on the outside in this game. 
you go back to his success at Alabama and he's wide open all the time. And you're thinking, yeah, but I mean, there are a lot of college guys that get wide open. And when you're playing with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle against the collegiate defense, I mean, what are those guys supposed to do? Yeah, he's wide open. When you're doing it in a game like this, and again, folks who have followed the, the Broncos for years have said, I mean, he does this in practice. It's a matter of can he do it in a game and will it manifest within the offense, within this kind of quarterback play? The scoring environment and even the volume environment, obviously, for the Broncos, even with Cortland Sutton out, not fantastic for Jerry Judy, but you look at the long term and one of the things that we mentioned from time to time about efficiency is it does give you a sense of why these guys are so good. And I mean, you've obviously discussed this and articulated it so well with AJ Brown for a long, long time. But I now think that, I mean, if Judy could just stay healthy for some stretches in the future, he is going to be one of the absolute stars because of the Broncos and how they're tied to Russell Wilson now. I just I can't imagine the price, especially with his what his actual production has been this season. I can't imagine the price is going to be that high this offseason. But the talent there now, I think, is almost indisputable for me. And he's still going to be very young. He can go through a variety of quarterbacks in the future. I would be surprised if Jerry Judy is not a top eight wide receiver in Dynasty in a couple of years. That's a I mean, that's a very Big statement. You've obviously been the Judy Bull on the show. I've been the Judy Bear. I will double stamp everything you said about watching this game and how he played. I mean, he looked – I felt like – I've had not wanted to play Judy as much. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. I didn't want to play it before his three-touchdown game. We did end up playing him. We played him again this week on this really good team we've been discussing – I'm excited that he's in that lineup for the next two weeks. If it does have some miracle way of getting in, maybe Hertz comes back for week 17 and we do get one good week out of Mac Jones. Who knows? I'm excited about Judy because I do think he has the ceiling. Sean, his last four games where he stayed in the game, right? Obviously, he's had the early exits. 16.6 fantasy points, 18.3, 33.3, 14.6. The variance really just on touchdowns. If you look at the catches and yards, it's 7 for 96, 6 for 63. Eight for 73, seven for 76. So at least six catches every game, at least 60 yards. And then the one game, I mean, he left immediately in one of the two that he left early. The other one that he left, he only played 20% of the snaps. Actually had four targets, four catches, 65 yards in that, and 20% of the snaps, 10 points in, in a very limited sample there. You talk about since about that point, you know, week seven, it's cherry picking a little bit, but he's been a lot better and a lot more consistent at earning volume and at catching. You talk about the efficiency at catching a high number of those targets and having six plus catches in a PPR league. I mean, he's playing with Brett Rippon in a game that that game sucked. The Arizona Denver game. You get Brett Rippon, you get Colt McCoy on the other side, then leaving early and Trace McSorley taking over. The touchdowns are scored by, you know, Latavius Murray, Marlon Mack, and Eric Tomlinson. I mean, what was this game? It was a preseason game, it felt like. Marlon Mack looked good. I, why did, did all these teams that needed running backs cut him? I mean, he's fast. Before his injury, he was he's I mean, it was that, a quality starter. I, it, it I just it gives you like a sense he, of how hard it is actually to, to evaluate players, even when you're an NFL coach on an NFL practice field. It's tough, right? Because, I mean, the Texans would love to have Marlon Mack right now. I But I'm, I'm going to take – my little victory left. If you go back and read what I wrote about Marlon Mack in the offseason, I was mildly surprised watching him in the preseason. I thought he looked like this in the preseason. And then when he got cut, I saw some comments from people who I trust that were like, that he looked terrible in the preseason. It's like, man, I must have been looking at this through a, a weird lens. Because I felt in the preseason, he looked like the Marlon Mack pre-Achilles injury. He looked like the guy that used to be two-time, a thousand-yard player with the Colts. I was kind of interested in him and kind of wanted some of the people that I Draft with, I don't know if we talked about it a ton, Sean, but we'll, we'll vouch that. I was wanting to draft him a little bit, thinking he might be more interesting than Damian Pierce. He got cut. I thought I was crazy. But it, all I'm saying is it doesn't really surprise me that he looked like that because I thought he looked like that since the preseason. It's funny you say that it's tough to evaluate. It is, obviously, but um, – Well, that's the part about it is that he he did look at I've got some early Marlon Mack shares. We talked about some niche players that could get your guys through uh, – I don't think it'll come as a surprise those Mac teams were not 
advancing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he looked good. Latavius Murray <coughs> looked good. I mean, we haven't given him a ton of credit for what he's done with the Broncos. To be able to do that in this offensive environment, impressive. The other little thing is I, it seems like further and further you get down the depth chart, the more willing at, at quarterback for Arizona, the more willing these guys are to be like, you know who is open and athletic? Trey McBride. Let's give him a chance. So he's another player who, from this, I would imagine that as I was watching the Broncos Cardinals game, I was kind of thinking to myself, I wonder if I'm the only person in the world watching this game. And then you're like, oh no, I mean, obviously everybody is in the same situation where they like weirdly have a Broncos or Cardinals player. And surprisingly enough, there were some fans at the game. So I wasn't the only person in the world. It felt like that as you're watching this game. But it was a game where there were some interesting under-the-radar developments in that, I mean, Trey McBride looks good. And I think that his lack of development is on the coaches and is on the quarterbacks and the way this offense is designed. I I mean, again, this, this one comes from a very biased perspective because I have a ton of him and did think that he was a very strong second-round pick in Dynasty Superflex. You know, watching him the last couple of weeks, I think he's going to be, and especially when you consider the development kind of arc of tight ends. I, I really like where he's going. Yeah, I agree. I, I was really optimistic about his performance as well. He only had the, you know, five catchers or whatever, but it was nice to see. Um, and I think for low yards, like it wasn't like a huge game, but it was nice to see for sure. I, I wrote positively about him selling signals as well. I guess, I mean, as much as we're making fun of this game, I guess there were some surprising, you know, surprisingly exciting notes. It, I got off on the Marlon Mack thing, but I was trying to agree with you on Judy. And I, I like the, the way that you're rolling it forward to future years. I think this is an, uh, a good take. And you look at what he's done with Wilson struggling and now with Brent Rippon since about midseason. I, I guess, you know, you can't completely write off the early part of the season where he wasn't particularly good, but he has really come on lately. He's been showing the promise that that we thought was there. Uh, and like I said, I mean, I, I agree with you completely that he was – basically wide open part of the early season stuff. He had some games where him and Wilson missed on some stuff that should have been there. We talked about it quite a bit. There were some games. I mean, there was a game where he should have like three touchdowns. I remember us talking about in like week four, week five, and he ended up with a terrible stat line, but one of them might've been on him. One of them was definitely on Wilson. It was just a, a whole mess of, of situations, but got, I think you got to be optimistic about him too. I think you have, uh, you know, your arguments about him and then obviously watching him play has, has convinced me of that as well. I'm, I'm coming around. And, Sean, that'll bring us to the win bet segment of the week. And we're going to talk about the Thursday night game a little bit, Garrett Wilson in particular. But make sure you sign up today at WinBet to receive a special sports offer. Bet $100, win $100, download the WinBet app now, or visit winnbet.com to start winning. Sean, there's expected to be some weather in New York. It's expected to be pretty heavy rain. The temperatures are going to be in the 40s, so not freezing. 10 to 15 miles an hour wind is what we're seeing. That's typically not the end of the world, but when you talk about with driving rain too, circuit sideways rain, there are people that are, are concerned about this weather. You're also talking about with Garrett Wilson, who this segment is going to mostly be about, playing along with Zach Wilson again this week. We talked about being bad for the high-value touches. Part of that is just he's bad for the overall pass volume. He's bad for completions because he's not as accurate as Mike White. The total number of completions in his starts compared to Mike White's starts is significantly lower. I had those numbers in stealing signals this week. I can't recall them off the top of my head. There were multiple plays this week that drove me a little bit nuts. Uh, there was the interception, obviously, from from Zach Wilson that was just a terribly thrown ball. But a couple plays before that, Garrett Wilson runs about a 10, 12, 15-yard square in. Very basic route. 10-yard flat, you know, right angle, coming across the middle. It's a dig. He wins against one-on-one -on -one coverage. He's got the guy trailing him. There is no help in the center of the field. Zach Wilson has a clean pocket. And he just misses the throw. And I wrote in Stealing Signals this week. I'm not trying to necessarily be dramatic, but like that is a throw high school quarterbacks are expected to make. And if you don't make it, there's probably a better quarterback at your high school that will then play. I mean, at good high schools. That's a 10-yard crosser. Like, that's a seven-on-seven -seven draw. If you're in a clean pocket as well, there's no pressure on him whatsoever on this play. A couple plays later, he throws the pick. 
couple drives later, maybe a drive later, same exact route. 10 yards square in, clean pocket again. He misses the throw again. This time it's third and 12, and it's right at the sticks. And Garrett Wilson gets demonstrative after the play. And the, the broadcast booth actually makes a comment. We talk about quarterbacks not showing up their receivers. You know, Not a great look for the receiver to be showing up as quarterback right there. And I kind of wanted to just, like, yell at my screen. I get that point. Garrett Wilson's a rookie. The same time we want these guys to be competitive that's a third down they end up having to punt there they're down three points at this point in the game they need to convert that he wins on his route it's not just that he wants to catch for himself Garrett wilson Garrett wilson's competitive you listen to his uh post game quotes and stuff I and mean, i don't know that he cares as much about his own stats as he cares about them winning he wants to win he was really upset during their losing streak earlier this year about and his quotes very pointed about we're not winning we're better than we know we're better than this we want to win that's a third. That's a huge point in the game. And if your quarterback can't make a ten-yard square and for the second time to convert a third down and keep a drive going when you're down three points, now you got to punt. I would be frustrated too. I mean, you can totally understand it. As far as fantasy is concerned, it's frustrating because Garrett Wilson. That's two plays that are basic throws, clean pockets. Should be two catches. It should be 25, 30 yards, four or five points. It's not the end of the world. Potentially, he takes it, runs with it, and gains even more. He's done a lot of great stuff after the catch. But that's, I mean, four or five points. We talk about those plays that build a base in a player's stat line. A lot of times we're talking about passes around the line of scrimmage. But easy routes. You know, you want those catches. You want – Wilson winds up with a nine-target, four-catch, 98-yard game. And he gets there with a couple of deep passes where I was joking during the game with some friends. Zach Wilson finally threw a pass that was catchable. And so Garrett Wilson went and caught it. He makes nice plays on those. He still winds up with the yards per target well above 10, despite only catching four of the nine targets. But you add those two easy completions, and now all of a sudden, and and some of the other opportunities that are certainly missed, there's also situations where he's getting open. Zach Wilson's not even throwing into him. He ends up with the four catches. He could have had six. He could have had 150 yards. It's a frustrating outcome if you have Garrett Wilson. Now we're talking about a weather game, and it's tough because – I don't want to sit Garrett Wilson. I think he's a top 10 receiver in the NFL. And I was say, I've was i been saying that. I'm trying to think through where I would actually rank him. But I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I would rank him in the top 10. And it's not like a hyperbole. Like, I, I I think as I start thinking through, there's there's some that are better than him for sure. Start to get into, like, DeAndre Hopkins range, who's probably a top 10 receiver. Who are you taking there? I might take Garrett Wilson. And... I will note, since week eight, he started running more routes. His role really kind of expanded in week eight. He's not only been very productive. I mean, his efficiency got better, too, is sort of the point that I want to make. He's been over 10 yards per target in six of those seven games since that point. On on some volume, on at least seven targets in all of those. For that stretch, 11.2 yards per target since he's been an every-down player, basically. He's been their clear number one, and he's been a star for this stretch. Averaging 93 yards per game since that point. That's the first game, or I think it might be the second game, but the, the second game where he was over 90% of the dropbacks that he ran a route on and was in a full-time role. He was actually up to 98% in that Week 8 game. He previously had topped out at 90%. Since then, it's 98, 97, 100%, 93, 90, 100, 100. So he's been a full-time player since then. Prior to that, he had some games in the 75%, 60% range, 66, 62. Week one, he was at 57% of the dropbacks he ran a route on. So he was, like other rookies, took a little bit of time to build up. Week eight, he's 98% and, and on. He's been 90% plus every week. That's when he's been a full-time player. So this isn't a cherry pick split. This is since he became the guy. He's been the guy. I mean, he's been unguardable. Do we start him in a game that's a 36 over under? Some weather and a terrible quarterback, and it's it's a tricky it's a tricky call. It is. I think that one of the things you have to be excited about if you are more or less locked in to Wilson because he's the best option you have is that Zach Wilson, quarterback, actually did target these guys down the field last week. He had four different receivers who had at least seventy air yards, and that gives you a chance in this game. You have 166 for Wilson. He only catches four of the nine targets, but because 
a lot of these are more explosive targets. He's still able to get almost 100 yards. You know you're not going to get touchdowns every week with this, but you have that touchdown upside on some of these big play opportunities as well. He only has nine yards after the catch last week, and we know that he is an after-the-catch dynamo. The great thing about Garrett Wilson is that even in some of these down games, there is the path to more. You think about three weeks ago when they played the Minnesota Vikings, which what I would argue is a matchup that is more similar to what you're going to get with the Jaguars. He had a 15-target game. 160 plus receiving yards over 200 air yards obviously if you have mike white there it's a different situation the jets are absolutely fantastic i mentioned on the show last week that i thought the lions might be positioned to be able to not necessarily light them up but to do some things against their defense that was more or less completely untrue they were able to shut down Jamal Williams. That part maybe not a huge surprise. DeAndre Swift, the guy who did have some success out of the backfield. They limited Amon Ra and then took away everybody else. It's another one of these special teams touchdowns. And then, I mean, you got to get Detroit some credit, but a, a fluke touchdown at the end that beats them. The Jets are a top five NFL team when, when Mike White is their quarterback, which is one of the reasons it's so frustrating. I have to think for them from a reality perspective that they're in this situation. I mean, this is a very legitimate Super Bowl team that is not even going to make the playoffs. And that part is hard. You talk about Garrett Wilson and the competitiveness. It really is too bad that you're going to have weather because I think it would be a very interesting game to not just play him, but to be to watch, to be excited for the upside if you were going to get these two teams squaring off in a more neutral situation you have the jaguars in the top 10 in terms of you know passing yards allowed they're one of the 10 worst teams as well in terms of yards per cover snap so you're going to get a good matchup but one of the things we saw last week with detroit is that zach wilson isn't going to necessarily take advantage of a good matchup through the air but it does give you a chance and if you have a guy who's willing to pull the trigger a little bit and you have Garrett Wilson in with a chance is something that especially in the fantasy playoffs when you're talking about upside I think that part of it is exciting then I, I just would be for domes everywhere I like that take there's a lot of weather again this week throughout the NFL if you guys haven't seen the Cleveland stuff that's supposed to be an absolute disaster we, we, we've had more extreme weather you know I'm not going to get into a whole climate change discussion but we've had more extreme weather I think in the last few years if you're paying any attention it would be nice if we had more domes, frankly, to be able to play these games indoors because these are, I mean, huge games, end of the season, and obviously huge for our little silly hobby fantasy football and, you know, for, for the real NFL teams, huge games to get into the playoffs, but um, maybe not any bigger than any other early season game in the, in the end of things. But for us, for fantasy football, obviously, they're, they're way bigger. There's so much more leverage on these games than any other week. And uh, it, it is tough when weather impacts things in a massive way. I think I'm still I, – I think of Garrett Wilson this week as sort of an, like an anti-fragile play for the week. We haven't used that word in a long time, buzzword. If you're listening with your bingo card or got your shot ready, this is a take-your-drink moment. We said anti-fragile anti on the show. But the whole concept of anti-fragile, right, is something that thrives in chaos. And I think any type of chaos here is a benefit for Garrett Wilson, because I think he's that good, right? Like, so if Zach Wilson gets injured, I think that's a benefit. I mean, if Joe Flacco comes in, I think it elevates the ceiling for what Garrett Wilson can do in this game. If Zach Wilson gets benched, which I think is got to be in the range of outcomes at some point, right? But seems like Robert Sala probably not going to do it. If Zach Wilson, you know, complete five passes challenge, the throws five good balls in a game, those square ends I was just talking about and joking that high school quarterbacks can make that throw. Zach Wilson can make that throw. I'm not saying he can't. I was actually sort of hoping that he would play better after some time off and coming back and at home and against the Lions defense. That's sort of why I'm frustrated is I gave him another shot. I felt like, yeah, hey, maybe Zach Wilson has a decent game here. But and some of the just... positive things did happen. I yeah. Mean, I mean, he missed badly. You get the response from Garrett, which – again probably don't want but it, it, it's interesting with that and then mac jones too i mean he played extremely poorly he doesn't make the tackle after you know you get an <laughs> unfortunate situation that happens there and and especially after how 
angry Mac Jones was with his teammates, with the sideline. I mean, you got to go take Chandler Jones down and show that you're willing to do your part of it. I mean, you can't be screaming at everybody throughout the game and then not make that tackle. I love that take. I have not heard that take anywhere else, but I love it. I mean, everyone's just acting like he had no chance, which he kind of didn't. Chandler Jones just sunned him and shoved him into the ground. But he also kind of just sat down and didn't really try. I mean, I think you're right. He could have grabbed his leg and held and, and clung and slowed him up at least. He's a big athletic dude. They talk about that guy as like he was this superstar junior tennis player as well. If you're a superstar junior tennis player, Ben, you got to make the tackle. Uh, but we again, you love tennis players are tough. We know that. <laughs> you you love to see the competitiveness there too. And Mac, Mac Jones is our guy. But I think that one of the things that did jump out to me in this game is that Elijah Moore was more or less trying to get, I mean, obviously he was trying to get himself traded. He seemed like he would have been fine getting himself cut. He gets seven targets in this game. I mean, it's still not a very playable fantasy game. It's not a playable fantasy game at all. Four catches for 51 yards, but he's back in the mix. You get Jeff Smith coming in after Corey Davis is knocked out and he gets open deep. He has four receptions for 77 yards. There were some mildly encouraging things about this game. If you can get Jeff Smith going, you can get Garrett Wilson going. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. There were some mildly encouraging things. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, a, again, like I, I feel like we're, when I say it's sort of the anti-fragile thing, I, I'm calling it chaos and Zach Wilson plays one good game. But, like, we're pretty confident that's not going to happen. And yet, especially because of the weather, and yet it is possible. Right. And if that happens, again, we go back to we think Garrett Wilson is this good to benefit and to elevate. Right. Benefit from it from any, any situation, elevate most situations. Right. If he gets a little help, I mean, you can still have a monster game, even in weather. You wouldn't sit superstars in this spot. I mean, I, again, I mentioned DeAndre Hopkins. I'm taking Garrett Wilson over CeeDee Lamb right now, straight up. In, in terms of who they are as a player. In terms of who they are as a player. Put, yeah, put no Garrett comparison. Wilson. What's that? There's no comparison. There's no comparison. If you put him on the Cowboys, I think he's having a monster, monster season right now. Bigger year than Liam is by a lot. Uh, so that's the I, the point I'm trying to emphasize is that's the caliber of player you're sitting. And there's all this start. I, what, what I think happens is there's a start your studs thing. You know, I could never sit. Maybe people could sit CeeDee Lamb in certain situations, but I can never sit a, you know, DeAndre Hopkins the way he's been playing or a, a Debo Samuel, somebody we kind of mentioned a little bit before the, the show. But they do they do miss. I mean, they can miss with anybody. But you think about Hopkins missing and, you know, Marquise Brown completely eliminated by what happened. Again, kind of going back to that Broncos-Cardinals game, there are I mean, some of the little kind of interesting things out of it in terms of what it can illustrate for other games as well. So the risk is definitely there. But you're going into the game still playing DeAndre Hopkins. Right. And, and, and it, when we pull that back to Garrett Wilson, this is a really bad spot. You're talking about weather. You're talking about a low over-under and, and Vegas not liking the game environment. You're talking about a bad quarterback. Arguably one of the worst quarterbacks. I mean, arguably even with like the Brent Reppins of the world out there, like the worst quarterback in the NFL for his receivers. I mean, right now, the way that he's playing, Zach Wilson is bad for his passing game. And yet – I just want to emphasize that if you're sitting Gary Wilson, you're, you're sitting a player of that caliber because if anything goes to, to his way, I think he's going to capitalize on it. And I think he did that in this week with his 90, 98 yards or whatever it was. Just a few opportunities, but he made the most of them. I mean, this guy's good. Yeah, and he breaks one of those tackles and is gone, and suddenly you have a 70-yard touchdown, and you're sitting with one of the top scorers of the week. Then, as we said, week 15 – absolutely fantastic we hope that you all as listeners made it through to as many best ball semifinals as possible to dynasty semifinals as possible you dominating your home league you're dominating all of your different high stakes redraft we're rooting for you we're living it right there beside you good luck on thursday night hopefully the game plays out and is very exciting we'll be back with a second episode where we break down some of our favorite games talk a little bit more about the tactics for this week and what we're kind of hoping to see or expecting to see in the fantasy semis and finals. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Ceiling Bananas. I am Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. Me and follow at Yards Per Gretsch. 
Ben mentioned Dalton Cates and Stealing Lines in the show today. They're bringing you all kinds of awesome stuff on both the NFL and NBA in your betting package there. We'd love to have you guys join us over at Rotoviz. You can use the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout to get 25% off a one-month subscription. We're doing that special this month so you can buy Christmas presents for yourself. For you know those people you forgot to shop for who maybe watch a little bit of sports, you can get them into the Endeavor and maybe beat them in your fantasy football leagues next week, next year, because you have such a head start. Always fun to beat your brother-in-law, beat your nephew. We love you guys. Subscribe to the feed. Do all those other things. They help us. Good luck in week 15. We'll talk to you again tomorrow or the next day. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.